Guestbook Podcast, ladies and gentlemen. How you doing out there? I hope you're safe and sound and uh, virus-free. And at the very least, enjoying the outdoors like myself and today's guest star. We're out here in the backyard of Union Inn at 1112, 1114 3rd Street, Northeast Washington, D.C. Steps to Nomagayudet Metro. Nice brisk walk to Union Station and a leisurely jog to the Capitol in Capitol Hill. Yes, sir. I have Luke All Wine, no beer. All Wine, no beer. In the backyard. There we go. Enjoying this garden. We're out here sweating our pits off. Yes. DC heat, but you know, we're getting it done. Those of y'all out there who are Instagram savvy, social media savvy, know what's going on in the world, probably know him better as Luke All with three L's (laughs) at the end. Four total. Thanks for having me, Freddie. I appreciate it. Of course, of course, man. So you've already done a couple podcasts where you've kind of spoken about not only your extremely successful e-commerce business, but also you've talked about kind of how you got there with your digital content and everything. What I'd like to do is kind of go over just the cliff notes of it. Okay. And uh, piece together some pieces to see what insights we can take from this journey, if you don't mind. Hey, man, I'm all about cliff notes. All right. So Luke's story starts in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Tell me about Hershey besides Hershey Park. Chocolate Town, USA, the sweetest place on earth. <laughs> I wasn't around to have the best Hershey. I wasn't even born yet, but apparently in the 80s, it was it was smacking. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Now mm, they're kind of sold out. They don't, they're really not even made in Hershey anymore. Really? Uh, a lot of their factories are in Mexico, Canada. Wow. Yeah, they've outsourced. Do they still have a single factory in? The only candy they make in Hershey anymore is Reese's. Hmm. Reese's Pieces, yep. Do a lot of people who live in Hershey work at the factory? Like, are they yeah. the biggest employer of the city? Yeah, pretty large employer. And I don't live right in Hershey. I live about 20 minutes outside. Okay. But, um, yeah, a few of my friends' parents work at the Hershey factory or Hershey company full-time. Is Hershey closer to Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? It's a Philly It's a Philly city. Okay. Yeah, it's a suburb of Philly. Okay. It's, it's central Pennsylvania. It's oh. close. Lancaster, if you've heard of that. Okay. Uh, York. It's close to there. Harrisburg. All right. Yep. Fun fact, you started your first business at 14. Yeah. What was that? Yeah, it was a streetwear company. It was called Supervision Streetwear Company. Okay. With two O's, S-O-O-P. Ah, <laughs> super. And, and the O's were eyes. Ah! Like vision. <laughs> I like it. A 14-year-old thought it was a great idea. Okay. So, you know, at that point in my life, I was really into underground hip-hop Um are you familiar with Pro Era, Joey Badass? Yeah. Yep. So that was my favorite rap crew, um, Flatbush Zombies, Underachievers, all these New York rap crews. Uh-huh. And they were coming up at that point. They were like 17. I was like 13, 14. I was like, well, like these kids are really doing it big. And they always had the craziest fashion. Okay. And um, that's what inspired me and a friend to make that. Wow. Because, um, you know, most people just go to the store and, and buy <laughs> that clothing. Yeah, yeah. But you actually wanted to make it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We, we wanted to emulate the style, and um, I think we made some pretty cool stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, for a 14 to 15-year-old. But, yeah, so that were was my Were you first. all creating the images that were on these shirts, or were you finding them? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I was doing the graphic design on my computer in Photoshop. Okay. Yep. And how would you get them printed? Local print company. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So you'd buy the shirts separately, take the shirts in the back of a car to this printing company. Correct. And they would screen print them on there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then yeah, how are you selling them? All around our school at first, we'd, um, we'd take pre-orders, we'd take uh, the product into school, and we'd get like 50, 100 units done. Mm-hmm. And then just like sling them at lunch, you know, stuff like that. So I was um, not too confident back then. So it was really hard for me. It seems like it was, at least from a, from a relative standpoint, a success. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know how much revenue we did. Um, I mean, that's not, I, I don't measure success by revenue, but um, it definitely gave me the first taste of e-commerce. Okay. We started a site hosted on Big Cartel. Mm-hmm. It was our brand name, .bigcartel.com, because we were too cheap to buy the actual... <laughs> personally hosted one uh-huh and i started a instagram and just started dming and commenting on hashtags and like hashtag skate hashtag streetwear and just started growing a following that way really yeah and um i think we got up to five or ten thousand followers i mean just for the, the clothing brand yeah okay at that point i had no personal brand okay because uh, clothing the clothing brand is what got me into photo editing you know and I found myself taking photos for the products because I had a camera uh, just my parents like cheap $200 camera mm-hmm. I was just taking some some shots of the products and it was really it came out really good mm-hmm. and we had like a really nice aesthetic going and um, people were actually buying from our website okay yeah wow by no means it was a monetary success mm-hmm. we still you broke even we yeah, yeah absolutely and we actually sold the company Okay. <laughs> it's a local rapper. Well, yeah. there you go. Yeah, for, I think, 600 bucks. Okay. That was did, a lot back then. Not to jump ahead, but did you put that on your application to USC? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> you know it. They love that. They ate it up. Okay. But before USC, you actually did a little bit of schooling yourself. Correct. By yourself. Yep. To basically bring your chops up on the video editing side. Absolutely. Because you want to transition from just graphic design into actual visual stuff. Yes, exactly. And I think those two like artistic elements kind of came out of uh, out of the fact that I wasn't too athletic. Uh, that's actually a lie. I'm very <laughs> athletic. I just like I'm an overachiever. If you couldn't tell, I you know yeah. like to be the best. And I I don't think I could push myself to the limits I wanted to athletically, which my entire family was very passionate about. Okay. So I kind of used a different outlet. And I wanted to be the best in graphic design, or I wanted to start a clothing company. I wanted to make something larger than myself. Okay. You know? All right. And uh, I really think that that's where it came from. Mm-hmm. So, chapter closed of the book after mm-hmm. I graduated high school, and I really started anew at USC. Okay. Um, some Instagram connections rolled over, but I really built a whole fresh network there. And uh, holy crap, is it the best network ever? Huh? You know? Now, USC is one of the best film programs in the world yeah the best in the world yep and i believe you had a scholarship there too right i did yep my mom works at a college okay yeah she works at a local college um she's a psychologist yeah so she was part of this program uh or her college was part of this program and um it was kind of it was called tuition exchange okay so if you get into one of these tuition exchange schools you have an opportunity to get a scholarship they only give out so many and I got one of them. All right. And it was 80% off tuition. 
Oh, man. Yeah. Especially for USC? Oh, the most expensive school behind NYU in the country. That's crazy. So I was like, I was amped, and it made it a reality because mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't have been able to afford it otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I was like, let's go. I booked my flight to California, never looked back. <laughs> okay. Which one spoke to you more about wanting to go to USC? The school itself or California? Equal. Okay. Equal, because, I mean, so the thing about USC is it's a top 30 school academically in the nation as far as an acceptance rate goes. But, it's I mean, it's not academically on the level of Harvard or Stanford even. But as far as Los Angeles goes, it's number one. And the network, USC network runs LA. Hmm. For those of you guys who don't know, um, LA is built on USC. Graduates are funneled into the entertainment industry. It's the best place to be. And the fact that I got into the number one film school, I was like, no way, this is just a dream come true. So I, I couldn't let down that opportunity and I, I wanted to go after it. Now, you didn't finish USC. I did not. No, don't tell my mom that. <laughs> she still doesn't know. <laughs> Why? I really fell under the mindset of the grass is always greener. I got out there, really enjoyed my freshman year, but at the same time was inundated with inspiration from people on Instagram, people in LA doing it better than me. Hmm. And I was so uncomfortable with my current scenario. Uncomfortable? Uncomfortable, yeah. I was like, this is, I'm better than this. Like I felt like the film program wasn't what I expected. I didn't learn anything Hmm. really at the film program. Um, the only thing I was getting out of it was a great group of friends and more salt in my wound of like, oh, I want to go get be better. And I can look back and, and know that's faulty thinking now. I should have been a little bit more content and uh, meditations kind of helped me be comfortable with the current situation. I, I, was, I was young and ignorant, <laughs> really, is what I was. I, I didn't know how good of an opportunity it was. But I mean, at the same time, your time there propelled you to where you are now. Exactly, yeah. And people would definitely say that you haven't failed overall, net net, uh, since no. you dropped out of school. So, no. uh, it's probably the right decision. It was one of those things where I followed my gut and it was the right thing to do. It was the right thing for me. Uh, I mean, considering the fact that you you seem to be a pretty hands-on type of person, that the classroom setting for trying to learn something wasn't your speed and it was like you you kind of learn by doing as opposed to learn by reading yeah i was really upset with how much theory was involved Hmm. and you get into the practice apparently junior and senior year i didn't stick around that long gotcha um but i was infatuated with the idea that like towards my sophomore year of oh my god like there's these kids who are my age selling products online and making boatloads of money like that's the one thing i need to make my dream a reality is money. <laughs> how did you, you find know? out about these kids and how did you meet these kids? Um, actually through USC. So I was in a social media club at USC called Reach. It's really competitive to get you into said it. said Reach? Yep. Okay. It's really competitive to get into it. Um, my ex-girlfriend was in Reach at that point. Um, some of my biggest mentors were in Reach. And I met a buddy. His name is Orion. He's my current roommate out in LA. We've stayed best of friends since then. He is an idea guy. Mm-hmm. And he gets people going, and his lust for life is inspiring. 
honestly. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and I was like, holy sh**, like, this is awesome. I love him. Like, I love him to death. Within two months, we were best of friends. And um, he just kept talking about this drop shipping thing and this e-commerce thing. Great, and, great pivot. What is drop shipping? Drop shipping, by definition, is finding a product for cheap and upcharging it on your website and making a margin on the upcharge. Okay. That's basic drop shipping. It's arbitrage. Yeah. So you're, you're leveraging e-commerce to be the middleman. Correct. All right. Yep. So there's there's nothing proprietary about it at all. Anyone can do it. Mm-hmm. And that's what's beautiful about it. That's mm-hmm. why it was so easy. I mean, I got my feet wet with like a couple hundred bucks. Okay. So USC reached this social media club. Mm-hmm. One of my mentors, Xavier DePetta, uh, published in Forbes. He's got a Wikipedia on him. Dude's a smart guy. Okay. He was like one of the first people in Australia killing it on YouTube. Um, he wasn't a personality though. He was on the business side. He was just a kingpin on YouTube, like making ad revenue like crazy. He started Earth Picks on Instagram, History and Pictures on Twitter, like these massive brands um, that blew up multi-million followers. He spoke one of the first meetings we had, and he at that point he had a Facebook advertising business, and I just was, he had TED Talks before too. This guy's a very great public speaker, um, and I was just obsessed. I was like, holy crap, Like this is insane that you know someone my age is doing this. And that mixed with the conversations I would have with Ori. We were like, yo, we gotta like, I gotta learn Facebook ads. I gotta start dropshipping. Like, there's kids doing this right now. Like, just because I'm at USC, it's it's not an excuse to keep pushing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really wanted to, to live a, a life of a bit more freedom. And that was part of my denial of the present back then. I was always looking for what's next. And now I've been a little bit more comfortable with being in the moment mm-hmm. through meditation, I think. Okay. So Ori, most connected person I know in LA. Mm-hmm. He knows everyone and anyone. Okay. He is a networking kingpin. Is he from LA? No. Oh, wow. No, he just, everyone loves Ori. He's a super bubbly guy. He knows everyone. And he introduced me to these young entrepreneurs that I found on Instagram. Um, I guess I could drop names. Brandon Lane, Hayden Bowles, Abdul, Zara. And they became my mentors. I met them in Santa Monica in April. And separate from that, I made a decision to go pursue videography. And I was like, I'm going to take a gap year. So I bought a one-way plane ticket to Bali, packed my bags and left. And I didn't have any intention of coming back. My parents didn't know that. Hmm. Um, I just knew I wanted to go to Bali because that's where people lived who worked online. That's really interesting. You know, like the right? remote community? Yeah, it's like almost the Silicon Valley 2.0. Exactly, yep. And it's like, it's better because cost of living is like 300 bucks a month. Is that still the case now? Yes. Wow. It is lovely. I recommend Bali heavily. But outside of cost of living, I mean, are there more people who are doing jobs that don't require you to physically be in a location that are living there? I think these last three months, coronavirus has really changed a lot. I think before then, it wasn't a majority, but now, I really think a lot of these companies are realizing they don't need to be in, a, in an office. So I think the digital nomad community is what we call it, is going to grow larger. Wouldn't be surprised at all. Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of like what inspired me at the beginning. I was like, oh man, like I want to go. And 
I don't know who I'm going to meet in Bali, but I'm going to meet some influencers and I'm going to film for them and they're going to pay, pay for me <laughs> to film them. And um, ironically, these kids who I met in Santa Monica, the e-commerce entrepreneurs, they were traveling in Bali that summer as well. Hmm. So when you met them in Santa Monica, yep. that was just a meet and greet. It wasn't meeting exactly. them under the auspices of working with them in Bali. Nope. Okay. Nope. Totally random. And they, I remember they called me, my mentor, my first mentor, Abdul called me. He's like, yo, Luke, like, I know we don't know each other too well, but I, we love your content. Like, we want to fly you out to Thailand and we want you to film for us. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I wanted. At that point, I was making like a couple hundred bucks a month editing YouTube videos. And um, here was this super successful group of kids my age offering me a job. And I said, okay, cool. Like, what's the pay? Nothing. We'll pay for your lifestyle. We'll pay for all the trips, all the Airbnbs, but we don't want to pay you. And I was like, that's kind of lame, but okay. Yeah, they, they were saying, we want you to focus on the cost side of the income expense statement as opposed to the revenue side. Exactly, which is, I found a terrible way to entice people. Mm-hmm. Uh, with my own employees, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You have to give people some meat in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I go there, best decision I made because me and my friend O'Ryan had built an e-commerce brand in LA before I left. So we had that content ready to go. Ah. Uh, we had the site, we just didn't know Facebook ads. We didn't know how to advertise it. Oh. So as I was helping out them out with their videos and their, their pictures for Instagram, I would just pop into their rooms and be like, yo, Abdul, look at my Facebook ads, or yo, Abdul, should I launch this ad? Um, Abdul was very helpful. He changed my life. He's the one who gave me the basis, the foundation. Of Facebook ads. Of Facebook ads. And that was, like you said, the, ma- the Maven skill. Mm-hmm. The Maven skill that changed it all for me. Okay. Explain to me the thought process behind unlocking the value of Facebook ads. Underpriced attention. That's all marketing is, is underpriced attention. At that point, summer of 2018, completely underpriced. Large companies weren't even advertising on Facebook and Instagram at that point. They didn't know how profitable an advertisement can be on a digital platform, which sounds crazy. Summer of 2018. that because people didn't know the strategies that Abdul knew? Exactly. They were cutting edge. What they were working on was cutting edge. Okay. So can you give me an example? So advertising in general, you, you need an ad creative, right? Like whether it's TV, radio, Spotify ad, you need some sort of creative. That's the half of the ad. The other half is media buying. When you say the creative, you mean like the thing that people will see? Yes. Okay. Or here. Or here. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Correct. So we have this thing that's sitting on a computer. Correct. So right. I had that I had that done. Yeah. Boom. I was an expert at that. I, I made beautiful content. Okay. You know, our, our site looked like a real brand. So you have the content. And then the other half of successful advertising is media buying. Okay. And that's the part that people are scared about. When you say media buying, this is where you select the demographics that you want to target Correct. on Facebook. Yep. And they make it eerily simple, but it doesn't look simple at all. All right. Like, for example, your first business, right? Yep. You had a beauty product that you were selling, I'm assuming, to women? Correct. All right. So there'd be a drop down menu, you'd say women. 
Yep. And then there's an age range. Correct, which you just, I think the best way to do is all. Okay. Because Facebook knows who your customer is better than you do. And then what's next? Beauty products? Like, yep. And is this like, these people like beauty products? They've said they like beauty products or are they? No one knows. You just say beauty products. There, there's different, there's hundreds of interests, thousands of interests related to beauty. So you say it's eerily simple. Eerily simple. But Abdul was a master at it. So there has to be some sort of... It's confidence. It's literally 90% confidence. People sit down and they're like, oh my God, I don't know what that is. I'm going away. I never come back. All right. Right? Yeah. So it's either that reaction or they don't even know it's profitable in the first place. All right. Or worth their time. So if two people have the same level of technical competence in dealing with... um. Facebook ads. Sure. Right? And I mean just understanding how the system works. Right. Or what to do technically. One person still might have a better hit rate than the other. What is attributable to that secret sauce? I think it comes down to the creative, especially in 2020. Okay. It comes down to the ad creative. Okay. Knowing what sells, how to write copy, engaging okay. copy. That's okay. something that I've learned. It's not an expertise of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, because honestly... You should be able to target. Most of my targeting right now is nothing. I target no one. Keep it 30, 300 million people wide open. Mm-hmm. And Facebook is that good at finding my customers mm-hmm. if I have a good creative. Now, you spend a fair amount of money, though, on Facebook ads, though. Last month, we spent 300000 on Facebook ads. Wow. Our company. Last month. Last month. Correct. So it's more so just a volume type of deal than it is. You, you're you're a you're more a shotgun than a sniper. As it concerns Facebook ads, it's like, hey, if we think that there could be someone here, yep. who could possibly buy our product, let's throw some ad money at it right. and try to get that person. So what you just said there, it's shotgun versus sniper. There's no one, no one's sniper. Okay, that's just not how Facebook's built. Their platform is built off guesswork and knowing like oh Janice might buy this product tomorrow because of her past history so they show my ad to her okay so it's all shotgunning there's no sniper work at all Um, we might get 100 clicks on an ad but only 4 people purchase did Facebook know that those 4 exact people were going to purchase no but they knew those 100 people were going to click right so they're helping me along the way because it's a mutually beneficial partnership. I'm paying them money, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, my strategy, yeah, I mean, I'm good at it. I'm damn good at what I do. But like I said, it's not proprietary whatsoever. Anyone can do it. Anyone can learn how to do it. I knew nothing about it. All right. And I learned in a year. Yeah. Expert in a year. So the person that came out a year later. Right. Tell me from an e-commerce standpoint, the person that I'm looking at. Like, I'm trying to understand the success that you've had in that year. Well, just to give you an idea. So revenue-wise, my first month of e-commerce, I did 30000 in revenue. That was my first month ever. Not too shabby. Not too shabby, but back then it was easy. Uh, now it's much harder. Why is that? Much more competition. It's... Uh, remember how I said earlier about underpriced attention? Yes. It's not so underpriced anymore. Facebook charges more now. Correct. Because there's more competition. 
It's all so the demand is gone. It's on an auction system. Oh. So I'm bidding against Coca-Cola. I'm bidding against Puma running shoes to get your eyes ready. Explain that to me. Yeah, so if Puma thinks you're worth $8 and I think you're worth 9 then I'm going to get your eyes. That's essentially simple how the auction system works. It's based upon the demographics you select. Correct. Yep, so some demographics are worth more than others. Is it possible that you can be the only person buying a specific demographic? Yes. Okay, and, and that would be priced differently. And that is when you make a lot of money. Got you. <laughs> so if, if, if you can creatively figure out that, like, hey, everyone who buys running shoes drinks coffee on a Tuesday. Right. So let me find the people who drink coffee on a Tuesday. And let's create a business around it, yeah. Yeah. You're buying low-priced ads. Exactly. And getting a higher hit ratio. Yep. What is a good hit ratio? Hit ratio as far as cost per click, uh, conversion rate. Are you talking about return on ad spend? Yes. I'm, I'm trying to understand like... Got you. Okay, yeah. If, when you spend 300000 does that equate to we're getting this many clicks? Like, do you know how many clicks no, you're going to get? absolutely not. Because it's, like I said, it's all different priced audiences. I have brands in 16 different niches, beauty, electronics. I pay $2 a click for some stores. It's really expensive. Some stores have paid 15 cents oh, a click. Oh, okay. So you don't write Facebook a check for $300,000 and then they say, okay, this buys you this many clicks. It's just no, like, it's hey, based on this, how many people click? Right. It, they, they charge per impression. Impression meaning... They charge per person that sees. They don't charge per click. Amazon and Google charges per click. Facebook charges per impression. Okay. So that means if it just shows up in someone's feed, like they could fast scroll through it, does that count as an impression? You know, have to rest on their screen for a certain amount of time in order for it to be an impression. That's a really good question, Freddie. I'm not positive. I don't know what constitutes an impression. I would imagine it would have to be at least a second okay. to be an impression. Uh, All right. But there and is then they some tell you afterwards how much you owe them. So you'll set a budget for the day. Okay. Like, all right, like I want to spend forty dollars in this new store today to test it. Facebook will spend your entire forty dollar budget. Okay. How long does it take before you know that someone purchased it from that impression? Immediately. Because there's there's some tracked. sponsored ads that I've seen. Right. That I bookmark. Sure. And then I might come back two weeks later. Right. That that's called delayed attribution. Do you know that? No, I don't know the fact that you bookmarked it, but what's interesting is like, if you buy two weeks later, it won't show up on the day you bought. It will show up from the ad that was delivered two weeks earlier. Ah. So you have to always be looking at your date ranges. So I might check yesterday and I'm like, oh shit, I really did bad. And then I check yesterday again a week later and I'm like, oh wait, like 10 more people bought. Like, Got you. It looks a bit better. Uh, but normally people, I'd say about 90 95% of people buy instantaneously, which is insane to me. I never do that. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your return on ad spend question, because that's the yes, metric we yes, use as yes. advertisers. That's kind of where I'm getting to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, like, if you spend 300000 um, I'd want to make back at least 600000 So you want to double? I want to at least double. Uh, most of my brands triple. Okay. So. And do you uh, attribute that delta to the quality of the content that you put up it's a it's a perfect mixture right it's like how cheap is the audience versus high quality how high quality your content is that you're producing 
it's a mix. And sometimes you find these little holes in the algorithm where it's just like, holy shit, it's the California gold rush. Like, these people are so underpriced, they convert at such a higher rate, and they love my content. Like, that's very rare. The biggest brands are really making the most money off of those little niches. I'm just picking up the scraps. Are we still in the middle of the gold rush? Yes. I'll put it like this, Freddie. I wish I knew what I knew now in 2018 when I started. Mm-hmm. I have friends like Abdul Mentor, like my friend Jacob, who's in Sweden, who does this. They started in 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. And by 2018, oh my God. It was a bad day if you didn't 5X your return on ad spend. Huh. But you have to have the whole process. Right. It's not just, I mean, I've been able to build my company through my expertise at Facebook ads, but there's so much more to it. Great pivot. Okay. So in our pre-talk, we talked about Malcolm Gladwell, tipping point, 80-20 rule, law of the few, connectors, mavens, and salesmen. One could say that you kind of sharpened or honed your skills on all, in all three of those respects to get you to where you are right now as a salesman becoming the expert at the creation of digital content sure. early on then as a connector your IG followings that you built up not only during high school but also during uh, USC right right I'm so excited because I already know how I'm going to answer this question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> alright and then the last one the maven right you were kind of like the pump was primed yeah, the Maven's like the technician. Yes. You were looking for the thing to put in here. Correct. The special sauce. The special sauce to make it happen. Yeah. And that became e-commerce. Exactly. All right. So you're talking about those three elements. I love that. Yes. I'm going to just... Yeah, sh- go, ahead. Up go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So from 2018 summer through the beginning of 2020, I was plateauing. I was doing high revenue some months. Uh, like, I just kind of... I plateaued because it was just me. I was an expert at all these things. I knew the system and I was failing and learning each day. But I wanted to take that next step and I didn't know how to. And it was a lack of maturity is what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, January of 2020, new year, I was like, okay, I need to take what I've learned and start to teach other people. And that's kind of when it all changed for me. So now in six months, we have five employees full time. I'm more free than I ever have been. And I trust what's going on in my company more than I ever have been before. Like the reason why I can sit down here today and have a conversation with you is because my manager in London is taking care of things. <laughs> I know he is. I pay him for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just like something that gets me giddy. I don't have to work for a month straight and I'm still gonna make 10 times what I did a year ago when it was just me. Mm-hmm. So it's all from scaling. What is the scalability of your company? Now it's the scalability of your life. Do you have, yeah, what's the scalability of your life? Do you have a job or do you own a company? I had a job until 2020. Mm. And that was really what changed. And it was all because of this book I read. What's that? It's called The E-Myth. Okay. It's called The E-Myth. It changed my perspective on the importance of building standard operating procedures, otherwise known as SOPs. I'm assuming that this is going to be your book to add to the library. This is my book to add to <laughs> yeah. the library. Okay. So it talks about it's a very example-based book. It's very heady. I wouldn't recommend it for someone who wants to get into business. This uh. is something you read like two years after starting your business. Ah. Uh. Yeah. 
Okay. Kind of like, like business school. Exactly. This yeah. is like the business class I never took. Because huh. I never took a business class in my life. And I, I needed this smack in the face. Um, he talks about three... Everyone has these three concepts. If you're the owner of a business, you, for example, anyone, you own a business, you have these three characteristics. The one is the technician, mm-hmm. the actual skills. Yeah. So for me, Facebook ads, digital marketing, knowing how to make content. Yeah. That's being the technician. Yes. The one is being a manager. Yes. And the one is the leader. Okay. That's like the person thinking about who to hire next, how to scale, like those three different characteristics. Yeah. All of which I had. Um, I knew that because I had a profitable company from day one. Um, but it's like, how do you transfer that and teach others? Hmm. I was, it was daunting. So this book helped me get through that stage in my life. And I was like, all right, cool. I need to hire a manager. First hire I made was a manager. Taught him everything I knew. Where did you find this manager? He was actually one of my old students. So I do coaching on the side. Mm-hmm. I coach people like, like yourself, anyone, how to start e-commerce. Mm-hmm. Uh, just like my first mentor taught me. Mm-hmm. You know? Because yeah. anyone can do it. Now, uh, is that the... Uh and I, I, I want to give you some kudos as an African-American on this. Okay. The recent announcement that you had where you are providing three scholarships. Correct. Yep. To three minorities to be able Correct. to learn how to do e-commerce. And it's like yep. you're actually getting them to a specific point. Correct. Financial stability. Yes. Um, yeah. So that was something that me, my friend Devon and Rashawn... Uh, we were at all the protests in LA back when the BLM thing was going down mm-hmm. and um, after George Floyd had been killed and we, we just thought something had to be done and mm-hmm. we know we have this expertise. There are two African-American dudes from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. They moved out to LA as well. We kind of have that connection. Uh, shout out Meek Mill. <laughs> but anyway, so we were like, something needs to be done and we have this know-how, we have this aptitude. Um, the best thing we can do to help is teach others and if we can arm someone with that same know-how hopefully they can teach others as well so it's like a trickle down um my program's pretty expensive uh, i don't think it is i think the value is way more than it's than i charge for it how much is your program um anywhere from three to fifteen thousand dollars okay yeah three is like the low end and what do you get for three um about a month worth of uh help from me some live calls on Skype, uh, teaching you step A to Z of how to do what I do. Now, is this, hey, I don't have anything set up and you're like, okay, I'm walking you through this? Right. Or is it like, I've already been doing e-commerce, but it's not been working? I have all kinds of students. I have the first, the second, and the third student who is really successful mm-hmm. and wants to take it to the next level. Okay. So I don't think it's uh, that expensive. Devon and Rashawn have programs as well that are, you know, people would call expensive. But I mean, when you're paying $50,000 for schooling in a year, it looks like chump change. Okay. Um, I'd argue that you get more actionable value from our programs than any university. Do you think that there's going to be a significant uptick in people who register for your program this coming semester? Yes, there's already there already has been since coronavirus has broken up. Hmm. Yeah, because people are sitting on their computers they see the value behind e-commerce mm-hmm. they get it they just don't know how to go about it is there enough space for all the people who have interest yep really yeah the market cap in e-commerce right now is 10 percent. 10 percent of all retail is through e-commerce right now 
because I know that you had mentioned and we had talked about it's like hey when you see these sponsored ads Facebook Instagram and everything do you click on them and it's like nah I really don't and I'm like yeah me, me neither really but there are people who are, who are buying that and I'm wondering is it my thought process that's ultimately going to migrate to where they're thinking in the sense of there's a value that they're extrapolating that I'm not seeing or are they going to migrate towards me and my way of thinking in the sense of oh here comes Facebook again it's just getting started <laughs> and that goes back to my metric I said earlier, 10% of retail is e-commerce. Yeah. But it's jumped just through coronavirus in the last few months to mm-hmm. 15% in a couple months. Where do you think it's going? I think in the next five, five years, we're going to see e-commerce being 50% of retail. Okay. So does that mean that there's going to be no more H Street, no more malls? Yep. Or at least retail is pretty much going to be predominantly restaurants. If Correct. that. Correct. Restaurants, grocery, and there's going to be some specialty shops. The the awesome, the killers will survive. I mean, we've already seen what's been happening in Corona era. Uh, GMC is done. Um, J. Crew's done. Um, Lifetime Fitness is done. There's all these massive brands that are br- built on brick and mortar that are collapsing. Could J. Crew go the dropship route? The e-commerce route, yeah, they just didn't have the systems in place. They were, um, they were too big, right? These a lot of these companies are too big. They have a system in place and they can't adapt. They can't jump quick enough. Not nimble. Where, where they're not nimble like we are. Okay. So we're very small operations. Yeah. You know, and there's people who are doing 10, 20x what I'm doing. I'm a very small player still. Are those people that are doing 10, 20x nimble? More so than the large corporations because e-commerce in general is more nimble. Do you think that you could have a company of 100 employees without having a central office? Yes. 1,000 employees? I don't know. That's a big number. <laughs> a, a company like J. Crew had more than 1,000 employees, right? Right. Is there a certain point at which you get to a certain level of scale to right. where from an efficiency standpoint, there has to be a level of centralization. And in that centralization, you lose some of the flexibility. You know, I don't think centralization has to be brick and mortar though. Okay. I mean, with the apps that there's available on the internet for management, it's insane. I run my company so much more smoothly than my dad who has a used car shop in Hershey. So much more smoothly and work way less hours. And it all has to do with these communication platforms that are built for exactly what we're doing. Um, I know these large companies like tech companies, Snapchat, the Ubers, the sales forces of the world, they're pivoting pretty well through Corona. But they still have a brick and mortar office. I mean, not in the last four months since this broke out. When this coronavirus stuff is done, and it may not be done until 2022, who knows, right? Do you believe that they will go back to the office? I think so, but it's going to be different. I, I think that a lot of companies will close their offices and realize that it's too much overhead. It's expensive to have office space and all the things that come with it. And people, you know, I mean, if you can be just as productive remotely, why not? Yeah, I guess so. I'm just wondering. I know. I know, I know how you feel, Freddie, and I feel the same way because it's like human connection 
is the most beautiful thing. Yeah. And you don't get that if you're working remotely. So let's say you go for an entire month without visually looking at another person that you work with. Or being in the presence of yeah. another person that you no, work with. No, there's a limit to it for sure. Yeah. I, I or don't want, is it? I don't want to confuse you. We, as a, as a team, we have bi-weekly calls twice a week yeah we, we i'm talking calls. about the generation after you okay right Are, yeah will they feel the need for it or is there something innate there guess we'll have to wait and see all right last thing for the seven questions the importance of daily meditation i uh, hate meditation you hate it <laughs> <laughs> this guy has uh, found a different park in D.C. every morning that he's been here to go and spend dedicated time meditating. When did you get into that? About a year and a half ago. Really? Beginning of 2019. So how'd you get introduced to it? Big meditation, bohemian culture in L.A. Definitely rubbed off on me. Mm-hmm. Um Self-help, I think, is very in in my generation. People admit their problems more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I come from a family that's very effusive with that. My mo- my mother is a psychologist. She's all about sharing her feelings. Okay. Um, but I think meditation takes it further because it's very physical and you're alone with yourself. And really, all you have, all we have is yourself. Is myself. That's it. Um is the meditation form that you do uh, of a transcendental nature where you're kind of repeating the same mantra over and over again I don't or? do mantras much no it's more I do more breath work okay. um, but I still do mantras yeah the breath work is I like breath work because it, it's quick it's physical I can relate to my athletic side with it um, I get a head rush from it okay and I, and I can do it whenever like during this interview I've been doing it a few times I don't know if you noticed oh wow um, just I turn away and take three deep breaths and really feel feel the breath okay um, and that's basically breath work very simply okay. I mean I sit down and I'll do 30 minutes of it sometimes the same breath yes thinking about that breath yes yeah it really connects you with the moment and it stops the chatter brings you into the now which has been extremely helpful for me I'm very anxious I think a lot of the chatter that develops over the course of the day is, is non-reality. Mm-hmm. It's uh, fears and it's per- in- intensified, I guess you could say, through the day, through the activities of the day, the rushes. Mm-hmm. And um, as humans, we need to be able to, to connect with ourselves and stop and slow down okay. and just relax and just be with yourself because you got to learn to love yourself before anyone else. True. Would it be safe to say that it's taking some time at the beginning of the day to center yourself around what is important so yep. that throughout the day, if thoughts come in your head that run contrary to what you centered yourself on in the morning, you're made aware of that? Exactly, yeah. I mean, a big part of the, my meditation is to help focus my brain throughout the day to only do stuff that's high priority. Hmm. 90% of corporations don't do anything that's high priority um, that's a big key to my productivity is cutting out all the bullshit and strictly dealing with the stuff that matters especially now that I have a team that's what leaders have to do Yeah. and managers um, 
but yeah i could talk about that for hours i, I love that i love that topic <laughs> well hopefully we'll be able to do another podcast at some point man yeah when i come out and stay at the uh the penthouse yeah come out and stay <laughs> in, in la, LA in la it's in venice right or no downtown la it's in down yeah so yeah. i lived in downtown la for about a year and a half we were talking about venice like when you first arrived i think yeah right? I, I moved into venice recently yeah i love venice west side baby <laughs> all right are you ready for seven questions Hit me with them. What's the call, y'all? It's the questions. It's the questions, boy. It's the questions. It's the questions. Yeah, the questions. Question number one. What is the book that you would add to the library? E-Myth. Okay, E-Myth. If I was in front of the computer right now, I'd look up who the author is and all that stuff. But E-Myth, not about e-commerce, but about entrepreneurial. The entrepreneurial myth. The myth of what an entrepreneur means. Okay. That's what the book's about. And is that like a big reveal? Like, if you were to say what the entrepreneurial myth is right no. now, would that be a spoiler? No, I mean, it's just essentially the, the concept of the book is that it's romanticized, overly romanticized. Oh, yeah. And when you break it down, it's very systematic and um, a little bit robotic. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to keep emotions in because we're human, but yeah, limit them. It's kind of like um, when you're working a W-2 or 9 to 5 or working for someone else, you're kind of outsourcing that process to someone else exactly uh and that process isn't necessarily taught in schools so to introduce that process into your life and adhere to it it's not sexy but no that's what comes to the territory and freedom question number two podcast to subscribe don't listen to any podcast really i listen to a few e-commerce digital marketing podcast okay so that's a lie but it's every once in blue moon okay um i'll throw out the name though it's perpetual traffic okay perpetual so, traffic some of the best digital marketers in the game run that podcast cool always talking about what's good with facebook ads shit like that number three something that you didn't know that you needed until you got it Think about like a blind spot of yep. knowledge. The <laughs> I know exactly how I'm gonna the learning to accept failures and to love failures. Okay. Didn't know I needed it until I got it. Okay. It was a breakthrough moment for me. You're not the first person to say that. <laughs> no. Uh, failure is a, is a, is a great teacher. It's amazing. Number four, bucket list place to travel. My bucket place list was Bali, and I think everyone else's should be Bali as well. Okay. Uh, it changed my life. That place is a different kind of energy, mm-hmm. and there's um, perfect mix of East and Western cultures. Really? And the people there are very sweet. Very cheap, too. It's the cheapest place to live. Really? You can buy, you can get like a steak dinner for like four US dollars. Okay. Number five 50 mile detour restaurant. So you'd be willing to travel 50 miles out of the way just to eat at this restaurant anywhere in the world. This is going to hit home, but Trattoria Fratelli in my hometown of Hershey, Pennsylvania. Okay. My It's my dad's restaurant. Oh. Yeah. So your dad has a used car dealership and a restaurant. First restaurant came. And then he sold it because he couldn't spend any time with us because <laughs> the restaurant industry is crazy. Yes. And um, not much margin there, but... <laughs> He sold it and, and uh, not those cars. Did you ever work at the restaurant? Never. I He sold it by the time, I think it was like eight, eight or nine when he sold it. Did you ever work at the dealership? No. Never. 
did he ever talk to you about running a business in the, the business side of things absolutely yeah I definitely got my entrepreneurial interest from my dad yeah he's um, we, we don't see eye to eye on a lot of things but my my basic skills and my basic values have come from him so anyways restaurant question amazing restaurant it was the best Italian restaurant in the area okay. um, people would come from Philly DC New York to come eat in central Pennsylvania because it was that good he sold it, so it still exists. It still exists. It's not as good anymore. Okay. But but still eat there. Still eat there. Yeah. Okay. It's just memories, you know. You ever go there with your dad? Since oh, yeah. he sold it. Yeah. I mean, every time we come back for break, we go there because he knows the owner stuff. <laughs> and uh, drinks around the house. <laughs> You'd think. <laughs> number six, your number one skill. This is your number one honed craft. The thing you've worked at the most in your life. That's a really challenging question. The number one thing I worked at in my life, in my life, being myself. Does that count? I guess. I mean, if you're really actively working on being yourself. So actively. Do you feel there was ever a time that you were trying to be someone you weren't no but I don't think I ever realized how much you need to focus on it 30% of my work day is always focused on me and uh, whether it's working out meditating reading um, fasting I fast oh you fast I fast yeah oh. I do I, um, I fast from 8 o'clock at night to about 1 in the afternoon every day every day what are the dietary benefits of doing so energy so much more energy i could i could talk about this for hours but i mean it's i'm really huge on genetic theory and um where we came from as humans and what is innately in our in our dna and that's one of those things that i feel very confidently about is that we weren't supposed to eat three times a day Hmm. as hunter gatherers we only ate one big meal a day killed a deer and you ate it you ate everything yeah and um so you were hungry a lot of the day and there's been studies that say cell health improves when you don't eat when you actually starve it yourselves not for a long time but for a couple hours at a time you know intermittent fasting i wouldn't fast for days i don't think that's healthy did you learn this prior to going to california no no, no. i picked up on this recently in the last year or so are you vegan? No. Again, genetic theory. I, I think we were. Our body needs to eat meat. <laughs> okay. Pretty much any any question can be answered by me saying genetic theory. <laughs> so actively working on being yourself—that's a great answer. Yeah, um, it's something people don't focus enough on. Yeah. Um, they're always looking for a numbing experience. Yeah. Last question, number seven. Your number one talent. This is your innate proficiency, something you didn't have to work at. It just came naturally to you. Easy to get along with. Being congenial? Congenial. It's a great word. All right. I got to buff up my vocab after this. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's great. Luke, this has been wonderful, man. And thank you for taking out the time to ask my very nuanced questions about 
the e-commerce stuff because it's, it's it's intriguing to me. Absolutely, yeah, one hundred percent. I, uh, I mean, it's what I do. It's what I love to do. Right. I have my own company and I help people. That's what I do. All right, let's get the rundown of all the ways in which people can contact you, social media, website, all that stuff. But yeah, just hit me up on Instagram. Um, that's the one I check the most. I'm trying to build other social media platforms, but you know, it takes an army, okay. and I'm, I'm working on it. And what is so, the Instagram handle? Instagram handle is Luke All L U K E A L L L three L's. Unfortunately, because the guy with two L's is a loser. Okay. Um, and then is there a website or anything like that? No website as of right now. Okay. Just come through my Instagram, and, and if the, there is one, you'll see it. The coaching, if they want, yeah. if someone wants to do the coaching program, is there a separate Instagram handle for that? Nope. Or? Just go through my direct Instagram. Just, just DM you. Just DM me. I right love up. the DMs. It goes down in the DMs. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it's been another wonderful episode of Guestbook Podcast. As always, if you want to reach the boy, innkeeper at unionindc.com and the website is the suffix unionindc.com and on Instagram I have three handles at unionindc for the in at guestbookpod which is the Instagram handle for the podcast which you're listening to and at innkeeperfreddy where I'm still running. I know I did the Juneteenth marathon, but hey, I'm still running. You're still going to see Strava posts, and I still run with Mod, Justice for Floyd, Breonna Taylor, everybody. It's an exciting time to be alive. Even though it's crazy, it's exciting. Doesn't mean it's always peaches and cream, but it's an exciting time to be alive, and change is coming. Damn right. Luke, thanks so much for staying with us, man. And hopefully it won't awesome. be the last time. We'll get you come back next time when we have the... Uh, the caretaker's apartment building in the back. And uh, we'll have a greenhouse on the roof. And solar panels and all that good stuff. You got a vision. Oh, I, oh, you have no idea. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be seeing you. Yeah, so I think a lot of the video editing came from the fact that, oh wow, I was finding, I was finding some sort of skill, a passion through doing the clothing brand stuff. crazy we never have it was restricted airspace we never have helicopters fly over and of course right when i'm what the f- what is that i do not know that sounds like a bird yeah but that sounds like an endangered bird i've never heard that before in my life i'm glad we got this on tape <laughs> that's crazy i'm kind of scared not gonna lie maybe it got killed or something who knows all right wow Okay. <laughs> we built it in like a week. It looked like a real brand. Okay. And um, <laughs> there's that weird birdie. There's that weird, crazy sound again. It sounds like a velociraptor from Jurassic Park. I know, right? It sounds like it's coming from the roof. No, it sounds like it's coming from over behind all that stuff. Ugh. I'm wondering if it's talking to the other birds. I don't think it's a bird. You think it's something else? I think so. I think it's some sort of reptile. Like a snake? No, not a snake. Probably like a lizard. There's a, a lizard in Bali that makes a similar noise to that.
DC doesn't have lizards. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm kind of freaked out. All right. That is really loud. It's very, very loud. Hold on. <laughs> 